but mm-hmm. I caught the ball. I looked down the field and it was green, you know? And so a lot of times it, it, they had flowed too far. Right. So there's two of them. There's two yeah. of the defenders. And I know typically in our schemes, it was like, well, you need to make the center miss. We're going to let him run. And so I think there was one person I made one jab cut, made him miss. And then I just remember everyone else is basically behind me. Hey, welcome to this former player feature powered by Jack Rabbit Illustrated. Today, Kyle catches up with former standout punt returner Paul Anansen. In 2007, Paul returned 34 punts for 482 yards and one touchdown, you may remember, plus eight kick returns for 190 yards. Today, Paul is owner and coach at Simple Speed Coach in Windsor, Colorado. Like you say, that's, that's another thing about South Dakota State is the work ethic of the coaches. Probably the strangest thing about me was I was a power tumbling national champion. Um, it's the fans that are there; they create so much of a, an environment and a frenzy, and they do help on offense. They do, you know, on defense, and they. Welcome to the Splitting Hairs podcast, presented by Jackrabbit Illustrated. It's Kyle here with you today, doing a former player feature with the one and only Paul Anansen. Paul, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Kyle? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, excited because it's marker week, and you know, obviously, um, it's the border battle. Got the got the uh, Dakota marker on the line. Sure. More importantly, looking for the uh, automatic qualifying bid here, um, which wasn't on the line back in 07 when you played. But what was on the line was uh, was wrecking a perfect and undefeated season for the Bison uh, at that time, and then also. Uh, securing the first conference title in uh, quite some time for the Jackrabbits, which we were able to get done. Absolutely. And uh, you've got some seriously memorable moments uh, from playing the Bison in your day. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that game in, in 2007 was obviously a, probably one of the biggest games in a, in a very long time. Um, You know, and I don't think as a player, you necessarily look at that. You just know, okay, we've had a really good season coming off of, I don't know how many wins in a row we had there. Um, you know, and so it was a big game going into it, knowing that they were number one ranked undefeated, you know, overlooking us. I mean, I remember a lot of things specifically for myself that was said, I think, uh, coach Sarvis, uh, was our special teams coach at the time and, and told us that their head coach, uh, Craig Bowl had said, Hey, if they block a punt or return a punt, they'll probably win the game, you know, and we ended up doing both. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was certainly a, a big game, an exciting game. And um, going into that, obviously, for me as a, a punt returner, um, you know, I had a shoulder injury at that time that I was working through. But as a punt returner, um, it was one of those things where I wasn't technically really allowed to fair catch. And I wanted to make sure when I did touch the ball that I made an impact. So um, obviously I had a play in that that game that did make an impact and um, was super exciting to be part of that that championship. So yeah, that game top to bottom, just in terms of the highs and lows, the ups and downs. As you mentioned, we blocked a punt. Um, I think it was the same end zone that you caught, like that you caught the ball coming out. We were going in and we blocked it at that end zone. Yep. Um, I think it was, was it Cole who, who blocked that one? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, I think it was Cole Brody that, yeah, blocked that. Uh, not sure who recovered that, but yeah, that was a, a big play to really start the game because that was very early on. I think that was their first punt. So, right. And then, you know, it was either, shoot, if we could block that and, and pin him back, you know, we were all confident, those of us in blue and yellow, because we had watched how you caught the ball every single time, no matter what. Like, I, I really still don't think I've seen a more sure-handed punt returner. Um, 
uh, in blue and yellow. And obviously, you know, you can see some of the the highs and lows that occur and some of the woes that occur when you just kind of get careless. And I mean, you could speak to it more than I could. What are, what are some of the technical aspects that you need to look for when you're trying to secure a punt? <laughs> you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people say fearless and I don't, you know, I, I think for me, it was just, I love the aspect of knowing that the ball was going to me and only me. Um, you know, you're the only person back there. You're trusting your other 10 teammates. Um, and there's, so there's 21 people running down your way, but you're trusting your teammates. And, and to me, it's just, it's focusing solely on that ball first, you know, you got to get to the ball, you got to secure the ball and then, um, really kind of making a move from that standpoint. Um, I think a lot of punt returners, especially watch a lot of punt returners today, like to dance and move or look up the field. And it's like, if you go up the field, everyone's going to flow by you. That was what I was always thinking is just catch the ball and go. And then I can make a move after that. Um, you know, and then working with, working with coach service, it really was, uh, a lot of times for us, it was, you know, you're not going to fair catch the ball. I think I got yelled at for my one fair catch of that season. And we were up by like 30 points. <laughs> um, it was the end of the game. And he's like, why did you fair catch that? And so, so, I mean, I knew, um, I knew that it, it was something that I was going to catch. If I was going to catch the ball, I was going, um, you know, I think for a punt returner or kick returner, the biggest thing you can do is, is, you know, so I have a dad, obviously that's obviously was very into statistics and all that stuff. And, and the, I think the coolest statistic that he ever told me is that season, you know, cause I was on punt return and kick return that our offense never started, I think, outside or inside the 20 yard line. So, I mean, that's, if you can give your offense a 80 yard field or less, that's huge. And so that was just me is like, if I'm going to do it, make sure that I secure the ball, make sure that we're going upfield, make sure that we're moving forward. We're not running backwards and not dancing, you know, all that stuff. And then, you know, speed and, and movement and, and just being agile enough to make people miss. So. Yeah, that's, I mean, couldn't have said it any better. There's just this, this angst that you get when you're starting, you know, pinned back deep that, you know, really only great punt return um, units can, can really bail you out of. And I always just remember feeling such a sigh of relief when, when we would just catch the ball, even if it is a fair, fair catch and then letting us get to work as an offensive unit, but it's just that added strength. If you can, you know, you don't even have to be a burner going down the field or whatever. Just get what you can, get up field. It's right. It's always like one of those holds your breath and gasp moments when when guys start to dance or they catch it. Well, and this is a point I wanted to bring up about that player when they catch it way too far deep. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I gotta ask you, man, because you don't you don't see a lot of what is it, ninety three, right. ninety four yard punt return touchdowns. Your focus was so so keenly on the ball did you did you know where you were at at the time yeah I mean I did I think I, I kind of had a little you know it was my I missed my junior season as you know to a to a shoulder injury but I had obviously all my returns in my sophomore year and some in my freshman year um you know and so I had a ton of experience back there uh and so at that point I mean the the game before we had played Southern Utah and I think I took a ball on the two um it got it ca called back I don't know if I, I remember that play obviously but I had like a, a 70 yard play where I made a a bunch of people miss and ran down the sideline but it bounced um it bounced and then I caught it at the two and went and I, I with that it was a conversation with with Sarvis that you know, yes, you're supposed to take it on the 10, but feel the game. You know, I trust you back there to make the best decision. And I know Stig, you know, trusted me with that too. Uh, I don't think he always liked where I caught the ball or how I caught the ball. <laughs> um, but, but to me, it was, it was 
I'm going to, in that moment, in that game, you know, we'd already blocked a punt. I think the the punt after, punt after we blocked the punt, he like kicked it 80 yards out of bounds. <laughs> you know, I think it was um, making sure that, that it was going to get out of there or whatever. That's, that's what I remember. I'm sure that is what happened. But when it came to me, it was like, okay, this is my opportunity. I know they're not going to punt that much. I'm going to make a play. I'm going to catch right. the ball. Um, and I knew, I mean, I knew I was tracking back, but I knew I wasn't in the end zone. And at the same time, I could feel both their gunners beating ours. And so there was a penalty on that play where they hit me before I caught the ball. Um, you know, and so once that happened, you know, I could feel them, they were too close. I caught the ball and then I knew, okay, whatever happens after this is either going to be a penalty or a big play. And, and it turned out to be a big play from that standpoint. So, you know, and you see that a lot more in the games that are played today is people fair catching on the eight yard line, six yard line, whatever, because our punters are getting so good at pinning things back. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, to me, it's, it, you know, we go back and talk about a uh, biggest aspect of a punt return is just catch the ball. You know, you want you yeah, have so many people just let the ball bounce and it's like, it bounces, it bounces another 20 or 30 yards. And, and, you know, to your point of the offense, to me, that's what, you know, coach Meadows would say to me, anybody, you're our first offensive play. So, exactly. you know, you catch the ball, you make you, if you make 20 yards or at least catch the ball, at least we don't lose 20 yards, you know? And so that's, that's yep. the biggest aspect from there, I think. So. That's an excellent point. And to that point, did you ever really have to face many rugby style punters uh, back in the day? Uh, I think we had a few. I think when we played Northern Colorado, maybe my sophomore year, uh, they like to kick both ways. Um, There's a couple other teams that would either kick, um, you know, short like that. So I like that because it's, you know, more of a line, line drive. And if you feel it correctly off the ground, but at the same time, they hold on to the ball so much longer. So you don't have much of an opportunity because the rest of the team's down there. Uh, you know, I do. I remember a few. I think I had two fair catches in my career, maybe three. Uh, I remember there was one with Georgia Southern that we played that um, I was like shaking the hands of the defenders while we were waiting for the ball to come down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at that point, like, yeah, I'm definitely gonna fair catch this, but I, I'm sure I had some too, like one at Montana that I definitely shouldn't have shouldn't have caught that I took some hits on, and and some others. I think our first game of the year that year, I took a really big hit um, too at Western Illinois. But you know, yeah, it, it's it's just feeling out the punter and what they're doing, watching the film with that, and then trusting your teammates and and your scheme from that standpoint. So, yeah, I, I remember when I was like. All right, Paul's got some stones. When we were at Georgia Southern, at Georgia Southern that same year in 07, and you didn't fair catch one. And I think I'm pretty sure it was Georgia Southern. And you took a shot and got right back up. And I was like, here we go. <laughs> I tell um, to me, it was always like, you know, when you're my size, playing at 175 pounds, I'm sure it said I was 180 maybe at the beginning of the season. But when you're my size, if you're not bringing anything to the hit, doesn't really hurt. You may go back three or four yards, but my, my thought was always, I'm going to get up before the other person. So they know that I'm going to catch the ball the next time. I ain't scared of you. It doesn't bother me. And yeah, I mean, Georgia Southern, I remember we played them. They really liked to talk every time, you know, I'd catch the ball, they'd tackle me or whatever. It'd be like telling me to get in the weight room. And it's just like, well, I just gained 15 yards. So cool, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever you want to, you want to be big and whatever, I'll be fast. And, and that's, that's just kind of the way I played. So. Well, and that, that was so pivotal in that game as well because, you know, we Parker, I feel like, nailed a bunch of kicks in that game. And, you know, that's all field position, Absolutely. really, yeah. when you're getting yeah. 
when you're getting that game was a lot of back and forth too because i think i had that was probably my my game of my career with the most all-purpose yards i think i had 160 or 170 just because yeah i mean we took a bunch of kickoffs but they were punting the ball and so were we back and forth um especially the second half they were punting the ball and so it was just feeling every single one of those and just giving ourselves the best field position we could so definitely and then so when you did catch that one in 07 in the marker game and you make you 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 know you've been interfered with and you take your first cut up the field what what's going through your head are you just like in the so immersed in the moment that you're just looking to make your next cut and and, and get get to the green or what are you looking for you know i think I, yeah i mean to me it was always and I, I kind of coach my athletes this way too is is the vision of feeling the game but i could always if the ball was in the air, I really wasn't worried about anybody else. It's probably why I could take those hits too. Cause you're not really, somebody's right. running down at you. Yeah. You're probably going to want to get out of the way, but I was just so focused on the ball first, catch the ball. Um, you know, and so kind of right before I caught the ball, I just felt it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a big hit or anything like that. They just interfered in my catch. And I, I knew, I didn't necessarily know they were going to call a flag on that, but I, I felt, I felt them way too close to me. Um, mm-hmm. But I caught the ball. I looked down the field and it was green. You know, and so a lot of times it, it, they had flowed too far, right? So there's two of them, there's two yeah. of the defenders, and I know typically in our schemes it was like, well, you need to make the center miss. We're going to let him run, and so I think there was one person. I made one jab cut, made him miss, and then I just remember everyone else was basically behind me except for Jimmy Rogers, I think, uh, and he yep. was he was up there, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to let him set up the punter, and he set up the punter and knocked him down, and after that, it's just like, well, I think I'm. I not think I know I'm the fastest person on the field. So I'm going to beat everyone else down to the end zone. So, yeah, I mean, once they flowed by, I knew I'd obviously being back there so often and catching so many punts that, that you just feel the flow. If everyone's going that way and I'm going the other way, there's not going to be a lot that I have to get by. So, and you know, like strangely enough, and I'm sure now, you know, we got cats that can move and run in the, you know, four fours and, you know, may, possibly even some consistent four threes and things like that. But how wild was it? Like when I when I transferred in, I'm and I'm hearing, man, we have a great punt returner. You know, he's not in this year. He's about a four three guy. I'm sitting here like, no, what? I'm like, get. You know how many people? Say yeah, I know how many three. people say they're four three. Yeah, yeah. I, I live in yeah. that world right now. Yeah, it, and and it was a trip to me because you know I grew up around Cole, and I didn't even know if he was like legitimately a four three and then we had two cats on our team at the same time and shoot even jaron yep. jaron was probably close to a four three i mean we had some burners on that yeah team. we certainly had some speed and and yeah i mean whatever speed you i mean the, the thing is too it's like there's game speed and there's people that are track speed and difference between yep. the pads and everything else and so and then there's there's practice speed and people that are gamers too and i mean i had to be a gamer that year i hardly practiced just because i I basically right. broke my foot in the first game and then I was dealing with my shoulder dislocation too. And so, you know, I was fresh because <laughs> I was, yeah. I wasn't working too hard to practice. i um, just trying to get to the games, but um, yeah, I mean, we certainly had some speed and I think SDSU always does a really good job of, of having speed. So, um, you know, and that's obviously to me, that's what I coach for a living, but that's so important to just be, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how big you are. Let's say we go back to the Georgia Southern game. It's like, if I get to the ball first and I beat you to a spot, I don't really care how big you are because I'm doing my job and you're not, you know? Yeah. If, I mean, if we were counting, if we were counting victories by, you know, number of big hits, then that's a Mm -hmm. different thing, you know, but at the end of the day, it's, can you cross that goal line? And, 
you know, more often than not, when, when you're playing in 07, especially conference play, we definitely did that. And, uh, you know, you like you said and you touched on, you have uh, a unique insight into, into speed and into mobility because, you know, right now you're in Colorado and you're developing athletes uh, all on your own. Uh, well, not all on your own, but that's your uh, facility, Simple Speed Coach yeah. out there. What, um, what I really enjoy uh, watching guys play because I come from a similar world um, with Athletes Performance Institute, now Exos, uh, in my professional line of work. Um, it was it was really exciting to watch as I started to learn a lot more about, you know, a full movement library and people who are more proficient in certain things. Your your pad level, your fluidity of movement didn't look like you were struggling a lot. Can you talk about your background um, in various athletics and how you kind of developed your mobility and your sure yeah i mean i guess i have, I have a, probably a very interesting background but i i love sports so i played all sorts of sports um you know and i was never never the biggest kid still never am right i was always the smallest kid but the fastest kid and so um to me it was never i'm never going to be big so i better be fast i better be quick and i better jump higher than everybody else um so you know, I played four sports in high school. Um, you know, I was either all conference and all state and all of them. So football, baseball, basketball, track. Um, you know, I loved to golf. I played tennis. I did all sorts of stuff. But I actually, probably the strangest thing about me was I, I was a power tumbling national champion. Um, so, nice. but that taught me so much about force production. Um, you know body awareness, rotational things, um, you know, and I did that till I was 13. And then I went to high school sports and I didn't have time for it. But, um, you know, to me, I just think it's it's so important to learn about your body and how to create force, absorb force, how to move, how to do all that stuff. And so I think that really helped me slow the game down. You know, you talk about speed, but it's also everything coming at you. Can you can you actually slow it and feel it down rather than just feel like everything's so fast? You know, we all know when you go to your first college football practice, how much faster it is than high school. I think every freshman, I think every yeah. freshman's just sat down and taken a knee and watched and just been in awe because the, the game speed and velocity of hits and everything else is so much faster. But, um, you know, for me, it was just learning, learning how to use my body, be efficient, be explosive. And, and that's really what we do. You know, what I do with Simple Speed Coach is, you know, we're performance based. So I worked for a hospital for um, 10 years. I ran in their sports medicine, the sports performance and worked with PTs and orthos and everything else. And I do a bridge program where we bridge the gap from knee injuries and shoulder injury thing, you know, injuries to back to field play. But um, you know, our two slogans really are building better athletes, not weight room, all stars and experience best movement. Um, and what we really just feel like we do the best is teaching people how to move. You know, it's, it's, can you, so are you sprinting efficiently and are you wasting energy? Are you as explosive as you should be? Can you, can you flow like you're talking about? Um, you know, so we really break down movement and teach kids how to move. We're still working on all the aspects of athleticism. We just look at strength as yes, a pillar of, of what performance is, but at the same time, so many people get obsessed with that. And it's like, when I'm on the football field, I don't care what your squat max is. If I beat you to the ball, you know, if we line up, I don't care how big you are. If I'm faster than you, I'm more explosive than you. I can get around you. And we're seeing that more and more and more in sport. I mean, you just look at some of the elites, um, you know, when you go to football or basketball, we are not big guys. We're quick, we're explosive, um, you know, and, and they move really, really well. And so, you know, as you know, working with X Exos and NFL combine prep and everything else, they say the best ability is availability, right? So if we're not healthy and yeah. we're not moving correctly, uh, we just saw it with Jamal Murray, like, 
Um, you know, just that yep. one simple movement where he overstepped outside of his box, pronated and then collapsed. And there you go, torn ACL. And so, um, that's really what we're doing. You know, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky to work with about 400 different athletes a year where we're working 30 to 50 sessions with them and, and really just not trying to step on their coach's toes, whether it's a high school kid, professional athlete, eight-year-old, um, not trying to be sports specific like everyone wants to be. We're just trying to make them a better athlete. And then when they go to the field, they can they can really move better. And that's so that's kind of you know where we talk about my background. That's what it comes from because I was always the smallest, but I was always the fastest. I I was I could get off the ground faster than everybody. So in basketball, I was really talented at rebounding, even with the bigs in there, because I could just go up and get it. Um, you know, and so I think it's just really important to really train all of those things to really, you know, we look at the, um, NFL, we talk about the Super Bowl, and Hey, 70% of these athletes played two or three sports in high school, but we see so many people going sports specific right now and saying, we have to play this one sport year round if you're going to do it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, I think SDSU does a good job. I think a lot of a lot of schools do a good job of recruiting multiple sport athletes because they're not only not burnt out or overuse injuries, but they're just better athletes. So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you bring up some really good points. I always thought personally when I would hear at Exos or some of these other performance training institutions, when they would say, Oh yeah, we're training sports specific. Well, I was always like, well, I mean, I feel like that's more of a marketing buzz term because mm -hmm. movement is yep. movement, right? You have um, movement competencies that are going to translate differently to different sports. But at the end of the day, you know, rotational power is going to translate to a DB just as um, just as beneficially as it would to to a, a batter, you know, in, in, in baseball, because you need to have good thoracic mobility. You need to obviously be able to generate force from the hips, sure. you know, all that stuff. So, you know, and do you think that athletes nowadays um, are getting bigger, faster, stronger due to maybe a little bit of proliferation of all these um, things we're learning about movement and all these training facilities being more accessible. Yeah, I think, and Kyle, I wouldn't say all athletes are getting faster. <laughs> I would say they're getting bigger. Yes. Really? Um, you know, I think, sure, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I just think of, you know, obviously I've had many opportunities, I had opportunities with Exos. I have two staff members that are formerly of Exos right now. So I think Exos has done a great job, but I think there's a lot of other places you go out there and you're just like, you know, and even I work with so many high school coaches and there's so much just like, you know, let's get the periodization of our squats and our deadlifts and our, like, does it yeah, actually translate? Like, you know, we have two barbells at our yeah. facility and we train strength, but we overload in so many different ways. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm with you on that ethos, man. I've, I've really shifted my perspective on that because um, I, one, I think far, far too little attention is, is uh, paid to deceleration and landing mechanics sure. in sport um, across the board. And, and that's what you see from these non-contact injuries by and large. I mean, there's so many other factors that go into it you know, adequate sleep probably yeah. being the first and foremost for these young athletes who are overloaded with schoolwork and trying to balance a social life and proper nutrition. But I think overall, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I and I think, you know, to, to go on top of that, these, we've got kids like, I had a kid last night, he's like, well, yeah, I played three basketball games last night and I had football lifting this morning. I did this and I came here and it's like, holy cow, dude. <laughs> like, you know, and I want to have, yeah. I have six basketball games this weekend and this, this and that. And, you know, it's just like you really, I think we're, 
so to go back to your question, like there's, you know, when you look at the injuries, there's obviously more people participating. Yes, we're getting more explosive. Um, there's opportunities with more facilities and everything else like that. But in, in our industry, as you know, there is still this really big just gap between academics, between performance and between what a strength coach is. Um, you know, and so right. I consider myself a performance coach, not a strength coach, even though I train strength. And yeah. like, that's really what we look at is just if it doesn't transfer to the field, then it really doesn't matter. What are we doing it for? And it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have to be sport specific. You know, can, it needs to be specific to their sport. Um, but exactly. yeah, I mean, so that's that's really I think the the opportunities that are out there um, are certainly significant but at the same time um, you know sometimes we're overdoing a lot of that stuff too so definitely definitely so with that I know you shadowed sure. under coach Mo um, during your trying to get some performance yeah I did hours, my internship uh, with him for, yep so I, so yeah I was rehabbing right. my shoulder for my second surgery at the time and I did my internship with um, coach Mo and I think Paul Kaiser was an intern while I was in there and Willie Jones I'm trying to think of some other names that were there but yeah um, so yeah I did my internship for my spring semester while I was rehabbing my shoulder and taking a couple classes before I graduated with him yep so because you got that opportunity to see him from an athlete's perspective and seeing our strength and conditioning staff which I think is pretty exceptional for you know sure. for the classification and the resources and stuff like that what what were some of the the areas in which you thought they excelled um in terms of working with what they had sure you know i mean when i was there we had basically the one weight room for all sports um you know and so i would say a college strength coach especially at the division one double a level or below is overworked and underpaid <laughs> um you know for and, sure. you know, because, yeah, you look at the FBS levels and you're at Ohio State, they have a head strength coach for football and then he's got six assistants and they only got 90 dudes where you go to one double A and it's like we got a head strength coach for 21 sports and then three assistants, <laughs> you know, just like. So I think yep. they really did good with a lot of that. I mean, obviously the scheduling, the time management, getting everybody in there, giving the opportunities to do and get better, I think. At that time, I mean, yeah, I mean, our industry has come significantly far, farther since I've been in there. It's almost been, shoot, 14, 14 years probably. Um, but I think, you know, just the on the personal level, getting to know the athletes, I think, is what Coach Mo is really good at, understanding what they're doing and, and training them to that perspective, um, working with the sports medicine system, um, athletic trainers, all that stuff. I mean, I bet Kyle yeah. been in a lot of – a lot of uh, college areas now and then working with the UNC athletics here in Northern Colorado. And there's just significant differences that SDS do to, does really well with from athletic training to strength training, to facilities, to making sure the players just know they're valued, you know? So I think, yeah, I mean, yeah. from the, the strength staff perspective, they obviously utilized what they had really, really well. Um, you know, they were doing things that were improving athleticism. They were working with athletes that had problems like myself that had to modify and do different things to still get better and, and do all that and manage the time around that. So I think, um, you know, actually getting a player better um, rather than just stronger, I think was something that they did well. So Definitely. And then, you know, like when everyone's coming in is probably top, you know, a handful of top athletes at their high schools, respectively, they always have, you know, maybe a different brand of sure. how they think things should be done from a strength and conditioning perspective. So the adjustment, especially for an 18 and 22 year old, there's a little bit of, you know, sure. ego, a little bit of pride, a little bit of doubt as to why you're doing things. And 
some of the things I've been um, really impressed with, like when I reflect back on what we did at, you know, South Dakota State, some of our, you know, angular runs that are now kind of being really in vogue again uh, that Coach Mo had us do and like some of the barefoot sprints we would do on the double crown to really just get your, you know, get rooted into right. your foundation, which all starts with, you know, your feet and splaying your toes. He really he really was on some good stuff back then. And uh, it, yeah, it's, it's cool to kind of reflect on and and uh, just appreciate um that what they because what they have now in terms of resources is probably 10x compared to what right no and i think yeah i think he did a really good job of always just trying to to learn and get better i i actually had before mo i had the strength coach before that too and i mean obviously it was just it was different significantly and when coach mo came in he really did change the culture um and slowed things down at first to get people doing things right not injuring themselves and then um creating that right culture and i think yeah i mean it's just as a strength coach, just continuing learning, knowing what you do really, really well, and then surrounding yourself with people that do some of the other things that you need help with, you know? So like, obviously for me right now, we have a, a physical therapist. I don't even, you may even know, do you know Ashley Foster? Did you, were you in, were you in Dallas or where were you at when you were in Dallas? Um, I guess that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. So I, she's a physical therapist a physical. and she was with Exos for about five years. She was in San Diego and, and then in Dallas for the last four years working combine prep. Um, but so she's back with us. She was one of my former interns, but um, yeah, it's just like, so I know she's so much better at um, certain bridge things and certain, certainly understanding uh, movement, which I think I'm really good at, but mine's from a global perspective. Hers is more micro. And so it's just as a coach, you know, look, continually saying, I don't know everything. I want to get better. I need to be humble for my athletes and then surround myself with the people that um, obviously know more than I do in other areas. And I think SDSU has done great in that in all aspects. I think even the, the coaching staff when I was there and everything else, it's just like know your role and then surround yourself with people um, that do things better. I think a lot of, if you look at a lot of programs like Alabama, I think that's the way Nick Saban, if you read about him and everything else, looks at himself as a CEO and tries to you know, be more of a manager and be more of uh, caring about the people and the athletes and then allowing his coaches to do what they do best, which is coach. You know, and so I think SDSU's done a really good job with that. So, yeah, and I I bring I've brought it up ad nauseum on this podcast, so I apologize for those listening if they're if they're over it. But I think that's probably one of Coach Stig's sure. best traits currently is knowing what his strengths are and knowing what his deficits are, and surrounding himself with people right. that can understand that stuff. You know, um, Stig is, he makes no qualms about being you know more of a traditional guy, but you know I think early on when he was trying to create more, a culture of discipline and he was a bit more constrictive, but then as he started to open it up, I mean, Matt Zimmer did a great article on him and, and some of the things that he's learned over the years and allowing guys to be themselves more. I mean, <laughs> when you're, you know, when you're in your, I think he's in his sixties, when you're in your sixties now and you're, you're starting to reflect on that and you're, you're able to be open to that type of evolution. I mean, that's that's probably a credit sure. no i mean i think, think i think that's been his biggest asset if it's my opinion you know knowing obviously you don't see a lot of like college coaches that didn't play high level college football or, or play college football or anything like that not i you know he's not afraid to admit that but he's really really smart from the scheme and the aspect and then i think the biggest thing i've always taken away is you know the mad meetings and make a difference and everything else we did is I honestly felt like the coaching staff did care, especially Stig being a leader about building men better than he yep. did uh, winning football games. And so I think that that's something I've taken into my leadership roles. Like if I take care of the people and they know I care about them, 
um, they're going to take care of the other things that, that we're trying to do as a business, as a company. And, um, you know, same thing as from an athlete perspective, it's like, if you know, your coach really, truly cares about you, understands what's going on in your life, is trying to make you a better man, trying to help you, um, with your future, then you're going to give everything you can for him on the football field, because, you know, he knows that and he cares about the football, which you're passionate about. So I think that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest leadership management, um, you know, things that I've ever taken away and, and had a lot of success with in my life is just understanding that, like, truly care about the person, be genuine, and don't just try and get out of them what you can, because this is what you need as a business, you know, and so and obviously football is, is kind of a business. And so there's not a lot of coaches out there like him that look at it that way. And obviously, the success is shown. So agreed. Agreed. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting to get an opportunity to chat with alums from across different decades of playing ball because they all echo those same exact sentiments. So when you're hearing it from multiple generations of guys like that's that's pretty solid, you know, because, you know, it just further fortifies it. And, and these are guys with I would say, you know, they played in blue and yellow, but they don't have any particular bias. You know, it's not like we're paying them to say good things about SDSU. We're just asking them about their personal stories and things like that. A, a unique example comes to mind with uh, one of my most recent former player features, Brandon Snyder. He's an Iowa guy, you know, through and through. Um, ironically enough, he's sure. related to Hoogs. He's cousins with him, um, who we played with and, you know, decided that he wanted to aim at the highest level and, you know, donned the black and gold or black and yellow for a little bit and, you know, did, did a really good job up there. But his same thing, um, same sentiments, you know, he was able to be really welcomed and ingratiated into the Jackrabbit family. And he was held accountable for, for things that he needed to be accountable to. And guys just really welcomed him. And so I think the fact that we've had a lot of coaching turnover, because mm -hmm. you're going to have it at the FCS level, and to still be able to ingrain your ethos and, you know, the mad manual and, and all those principles within that, I think. No, absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, I've obviously I've been around, you know, I've been around a couple thousand athletes and probably a thousand. I'm trying to get recruited or going from college to college or different things. And it's like the experience that we had at South Dakota State. I don't ever really hear echoed too often, you know, of just. Uh, yeah. everything. Cause you know, when we were there, the facilities were being talked about, but they weren't there. Even when I was recruiting, well, there was a, a few things here and there. And it, yeah. so it was like, obviously the coaching staff to recruit people there. Um, you can't just say, Hey, come walk through our beautiful stadium. Here's our, you know, our weight room. Here's our athletic training room. That's, that's not going to sell you. And so when we were there, that's really kind of what we were told is here's the vision fellas. And this is what we want you to be the groundwork of that. We want you to be these, you know, we were the first, I was the first class that we were technically going to division one, the first year we played, you know, it was a whole transition, which stunk when we beat SDSU because we didn't get to play in the playoffs our senior year. Um, but then we can look right. back and say, well, that's our legacy as, as a class was really truly ultimately setting that foundation of division one. And this is what SDSU is. And, and so all the experiences that we had with that, you know, yes, wanting the facilities and everything else, but they weren't there quite yet. But the experiences with the coaches, the experiences with just feeling valued that when they could show us when we traveled, staying in better hotels, eating better, taking care of us. Like, you know, I just remember all the food that we would get traveling and I talk to kids traveling now and they're just like, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm hungry, <laughs> you know, 
Um, you know, and just anything yeah. that was just like to feel valued, to make sure you're taken care of, to know um, all of that. I just don't hear that echoed hardly anywhere else. And so obviously, you know, South Dakota is, is just a different place. I hear, you know, from Colorado, I hear people that go there and they're like, no one locks their car doors. No one locks their house. I, I, I got welcomed into this. You know, when I moved to Colorado, right. I've been here 14 years now, but you know, and I'm an Iowa boy, it's, it's just different because in Iowa, it's like, you're welcomed in. People are curious. They want to get to know you. They're really super genuine. And in Colorado, you drive in into your garage and you shut the door before your neighbor says hi. <laughs> you know? And so it's just, it's yeah. different. And South Dakota was that way. And I think the staff has done a really good job of just keeping that culture you know like you said even though you're evolving especially as a head coach and as you get older as i get older it's hard for me to have younger people come underneath me and say this is this and, and you shouldn't be doing this because these kids don't like that and so um you know i'm sure that that's humbling at times for for stig and the staff but at the same time i think they've done an amazing job at that so yeah indeed and you know being in a extremely large city now in dallas you you wave to people and it's almost like yeah, right. they're supposed to be looking at me and and I think the the intimate environment of of a smaller town I mean fifteen thousand without the college there add maybe another twelve to thirteen maybe another fifteen with the college there so you're looking at maybe a max of only thirty k during during a, the course of a school year versus you know looking at a north dakota state which probably has about ninety thousand in the in in, or or even more actually in the fargo moorhead um metropolis i guess if you want to call it that and that's a huge i mean if you 10x uh your rival in population but yet you've lost your rival a handful of times in recent years um in some pretty big matchups i mean that's that's saying a lot yeah for sure no yeah i mean it it just it was certainly a different experience, but it was a great experience. And yeah, I mean, anybody looking out there or anybody that I'm always, you know, working with, I'm like, Hey, this is a place, you know, worth looking at, you know, you're going to get a great experience. You're going to get a great education. You're going to get um, a great town that takes care of their, their university and, and really gives these college kids what they're looking for. So. And so when you, that's a great point and great segue. So what were you looking for in an institution when you were getting recruited and, you know, you looked to South Dakota State. We already sure. kind of covered that they didn't have the facilities necessarily, and, and they brought a vision. Um, were there some guys that you looked up to? Or yeah, you don number four. Um, year? You know, Kyle, was I was just looking number? to play. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I had a really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. I didn't like football when I was a junior because I think I had four receptions as a wide receiver, and we threw the ball ten times in nine games. <laughs> um, and so I hated it. I wasn't even going to play football my senior year. We went to a seven-on-seven camp, and our quarterback just with some myself and some wide receivers out of like 200 teams at Iowa State won, and we just destroyed people. And our coach was like, "Well, maybe we should throw the ball, even though we've been running the ball for 20 years, you know." And and so I actually had a really good senior year. I was to the recruiting stuff late. I actually thought I was I had opportunities to run track, um, play baseball. Um, so I, I didn't really quite know what I was going to do. And then football, it's like, whoa, all state best receiver in Iowa. Um, you know, I better maybe just give this a shot and look. Um, I didn't know South Dakota state existed. I'll be honest. (laughs) I was, I was, you know, very much looking (laughs) at Iowa state or, um, I wanted to go to Colorado. So I was looking at Colorado and and stuff, but I was thought I was going to be a landscape designer. Um, turns out I wasn't creative. So South Dakota State uh, 
was one of those areas <laughs> that had that. Um, so I found found them and I, I sent them some film and all that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, hey, let's get you out here. Went on a recruiting trip, all that stuff. Um, what I was looking for for me was to play, to have that opportunity. I was 135 pounds when I went on my recruiting trip or maybe 136. I stepped on the scale. I was in basketball season. I played football at 150. And back then, Kyle, if you weren't, if you didn't weigh 160 pounds, there was no Deshaun Jackson's yet. Um, and so I was, yeah. I was overlooked. Like I had, I had opportunities, Wisconsin, Iowa state, Colorado state, all this stuff. But once they kind of got my weight, it was like, okay, you may run a four, three, but you're not big enough. You're just going to die on the football field. <laughs> so, um, so I wanted to play, I right. met coach Stig um, on my recruiting trip and spent a lot of time with him. And he was obviously very, um, you know, I think welcoming and they gave me a chance. They let me prove myself. Um, and I really did like that that they i think they were always and i think that's what they do well still is looking for diamonds in the rough you know people that are overlooked that that really are talented players that could play at maybe even a higher level but they're overlooked and they they value them and so i felt that when i was there um you know i went on some other trips to some other places but when i, when I was there it just it felt you know being an iowa boy felt a little smaller i had visited iowa state which is in ames and there's sixty thousand people and you know 35 thousand students and it was significantly bigger my sister was there i had an opportunity to to walk on but it was just I mean, it was an opportunity to play feel valued um and i felt that and you know then when i got out there and i was able to prove myself it was like okay you know i i, I beat some people out and traveled my my freshman year when i really shouldn't because i was traveling over sophomores and it was like just prove myself prove myself that i can do this and yeah. and i worked my butt off obviously to gain the weight they wanted me to and um you know, so yeah, it was just the opportunity to prove myself. And I think South Dakota state does a really good job of finding those people. So, and they do an excellent job in the recruiting process right. of not over promising you or overselling you. I mean, I remember, I didn't know what South Dakota state was either had, uh, had moved to Minnesota, Southern Minnesota, middle of my junior year, um, and was already committed to a big F FBS school. And we're at the camp and Sarvis is like, you know, you'll have an opportunity here if, if things don't don't go uh, the way you expect them. And I'm sitting right. here like, you know, arrogant, like, OK, you know, uh, I've, I've seen what you guys have in terms of facilities. And like, I don't even think they had the uh, they didn't even have the no, I don't think so, probably not. electronics board that they had at first. They didn't even have that at first. So I'm just like, man, I don't even know if. <laughs> my grandparents would come out to, to a game here, but um, turns out my grandparents love SDSU and my cousins went there. And, um, but it was really, uh, you know, I remember Cole, Cole coming up from Georgia and telling, telling me about his recruiting visit. And Sarvis was always like, you know, we'd love to have him. We'll never beg to have a guy here because if we have to beg him, beg him to be here, then they're not our guy. And uh, I thought that that carried, you know, obviously with Bubak, yeah. um, and, and the rest of the guys, you know, it's been really cool to to see the coaches that have come through and have, have done some excellent things with their mm -hmm. own careers. Coach Lee now, the head coach at Vandy, um, done some excellent things. And, yeah, man, it's a, it's a cool – it's a unique place. I have some great memories of falling <laughs> uh, hooping with you down at the middle school. Yeah. And that's uh, – those were good times, man, just throw, throwing on some headbands. Yeah, going on a nine-foot hoop and feeling like – Yeah, Michael Jordan, and, sure. <laughs> yeah. And Vince Carter – I, you could actually see your hops, though, you know, because, you know, being a little bit shorter and getting up is cooler to watch. 
versus you know just a guy who's like six three <laughs> trying to do yeah, it. Yeah, for I sure. No, that was awkward. a lot. I, yeah, I mean, I have all sorts of memories, and obviously, you know, we lived together for a little bit, and um, yeah, just the, I mean, the group of roommates that we had with uh, Chris Wagner, and then Josh is my brother-in-law, and uh, Jay Bubak is also my brother-in-law. So, um, but uh, yeah, he's in Kazakhstan right now, Love it. but. Still doing that. Yep. Year eight. He's still doing that, huh? um, I think that's obviously a different experience, but uh, as a football coach, you know, it's uh, hard to eat that family time. And I think he truly just values, values that so much. And and what he's doing is obviously challenging in a different country. So, um, but yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, that's the cool thing. uh, The very blue collar work ethic coming from that territory, whether you're a coach that gets integrated into it, if you're from a different state, um, I think you understand the grind after a while. You know, it's not for everyone. We've seen some coaches uh, exit and get into like sales or some other careers, but um, I'm sure the work ethic and a lot of the same principles. Coach Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I think, yeah, like you say, there. that's that's another thing about South Dakota State is the work ethic of the coaches. I'm not saying I think all coaches probably overwork themselves, but, you know, they they expect their players to to put in the grind there then you can certainly see that they're doing the same thing and, and plus that so um yeah i think all of that i was i was you know when you go into the for us it was the trailers you go into the trailers and your coach hasn't gone home yet and it's the morning and you're there to watch film and you're like what are you doing here <laughs> like, you know? so no it's yeah and gba is yeah. sleeping on the couches that we had in there and just trying to do everything they can to get the right edits for our practice film or game film and it's it's really honestly in a lot of ways a thankless you know occupation so it's 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 one of those things you know coaches always get blamed for the losses and the the wins so it's nice to kind of highlight some of the reality no absolutely yeah and i think yeah i think it is uh, very thankless and and all the things that they do i mean you look at the the legacy that coach dig not only as coaches that he's had underneath them but as I mean, if you would go look at all of his athletes and the success stories of their lives and the things that they're doing. And, you know, I don't think success is just by, oh, you've accomplished this or you're a doctor or anything else, but just all the other impacts that they probably had on everybody else. And, you know, that's for me, that's an opportunity every year. Like I said, I get to work with three, four hundred high school kids, college kids and and try and leave that same impact to just say, uh, I want you to be a better athlete. Absolutely. I'm here to help that. But we're also care about you as a person and want to help you through some of those tough times or decisions and everything going on in your life. And so again, yeah, I mean, thankless job, but they, like I said, the work ethic and they do a great job from that standpoint. So. Exactly. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, your, your football or your athletic life is a lot shorter than your, your, your practical life, your everyday life. And so um, if you get some positive influences of how to be a better person. I, I don't see how that no, can be a no, disadvantageous yeah, thing sure. in any way. And so kind of switching gears a little bit here, have you, I know you're grinding and you're, you're always programming and you got a little one in a family of your own, but are you able to kind of break away at all? and follow? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I certainly follow them as much as I can. I did, my wife and I did just recently move into a a house. Plus I've had a crazy year of more, you know, with COVID it was like in Colorado, these athletes didn't have sports for a long time. So they needed somewhere to go. And we were luckily able to provide that and at least give them a competitive environment. So I've been, 
work until 10 o'clock at night a lot of times. And so I certainly, I don't get to watch all the games, but I, I certainly pay attention to scores or check in on things and when I can. And I mean, I've been doing that obviously my, my whole life since graduating, you know, when you, first leave I think you know all the dudes and you're like catching mm -hmm. every every single possible game and on coaches and saying they should be doing this and why are why yeah. are we seeing people walk on the you know and <laughs> I think I did some of that and just saying do these kids know how much opportunity they have in front of them and yep. um, because you know we got that when we were there and put that up on the if you see something from an, a former alumni and and they don't think you're doing something right you're going to take that to heart and I think you know having that you know alumni that that stands behind yep. the players on the field so no, I pay attention as, as much as I possibly can. It's been a very busy spring for us. I have a 16-month-old right now or almost 16-month, and he is walking like crazy and going everywhere. So a lot of times when I'm trying to steal moments at 10 o'clock, it's obviously with my family first. And um, But, yeah, I mean, I love, I love being able to follow them and cheer them on and bite my nails and get angry about games I think we should have won or whatever else. And, and, I mean, I do that with all sports. Obviously, you know, we had a – a roommate that was a basketball player, Michael Loney. And so I, I paid attention to the Jacks on the court and um, both women's basketball too. And so, um, yeah, yep. it's just, obviously that's where you graduate. You know, I got my master's at university of Northern Colorado, but that was to me, not home. My home is. Things and um, you know, it, it, yeah. that's who I support. That's who I cheer on. That's what I'm going for. That's always, that's always where my heart will be. So. It'd be excellent to see a schedule UNC because not only do they have, you know, a uh, history being in the former great West conference with us, but um, obviously mm -hmm. having McCaffrey at, at the helm there uh, provides an interesting story. Interesting storyline. Story They've had UNC is, you know, they moved actually to division one a year before us. And then, um, you know, when I graduated, obviously I went into my master's here, which was basically sport business. It was sport administration. Uh, that's what brought me out here is, top five in the world at that time with the staff that they had, but um, watching how SDSU did it and watching how Northern Colorado did it were two very significantly different things. You know, um, the money. Oh man, Kyle, the, the money and the support that South Dakota state got UNC is literally a division two structure, division one structure on a division two budget um, staff, all that stuff. I mean, even, you know, they wow. built a, and I don't want to be talking bad about them in any way, but, um, you know, I was worked with them because my boss for a yeah. long time at Banner was the uh, head medical director there, part Banner, part UNC. But, um, you know, yeah, just the, the fan support, right? So their average attendance at football games before COVID was about 4,000. You know, and they have a they have a nice, decent stadium. They don't have lights, um, so they don't play under lights or anything. But it's it's hard in Colorado to get people to games. There's so many other things to do. Why go biking, whatever it is, hiking? Why would you go to Green right. to go to a football game? Um, you know, and so the student support there. But yeah, I mean, just the <laughs> facilities, their weight room, um, the is is like an alleyway. I mean, there's just not enough space, not enough staff, and and that's a struggle. But yeah, just the you follow the budget, follow the money. Some of the stories I hear from the kids, my former or my my current employer uh, employee um, is uh, or my head trainer is a former football player there, and and that's where like his experience was completely different than mine, <laughs> um, you know. And so 
uh, I just think, like I said, SDSU has not only done a great job with the facilities and the recruiting and the coaching and the culture and everything else, but it's just like, yeah, you know, when you go to South Dakota State, what to expect and the expectations from uh, facilities to fans to everything else. And, and when you go to UNC, you don't certainly see that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just been two different stories. And I would say just like any other university, you follow the financial support um, you're certainly going to see differences to a point. Now, I think our our senior class proved it doesn't matter about facilities and everything else. And I think those classes before us and, and after that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to a point you, to get some of those bigger guys, bigger names, bigger recruits, you have to have that. And then you have to be staying at the right places, the right shoulder pads, right everything, rather than <laughs> um, just not having enough for people. So Bingo. And, you know, Stig has been on record by saying about a million dollars uh, is really the difference between North Dakota State and South Dakota State as it pertains to, you know, dollars uh, being allocated to the football programs. And that's I mean, that's a significant gap. Right. And I mean, money doesn't money doesn't translate a one to one W's on the field, but it, it certainly goes a long way. And I think, you know, that. That holds right. if you look at the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Notre Dames, the Ohio States. Um, I mean, Ohio State specifically, just because I recall a Sports Illustrated article, spent at one point more on their <laughs> athletic budget than some third world countries were able to generate. Um, so, and and that's, you know, that's wild. So, you know, we have no delusions uh, as former alums or anything like that, that we're going to get to even the scale close to that. But I think, you know, with us having success at the division one level, um, really spearheaded by your class and then some subsequent classes, I think that, you know, make sure if anyone's listening to this, who is a former alum uh, who played ball, um, try to get affiliated with the JFPA, the former players association, Ryan McKnight does an excellent job with that. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's really come online here the past couple of years. Um, and it's really kind of something cool, you know, donate whatever you can to, it goes right back to the players. And some may ask why, why would we do that? Well, I mean, these stories right here, right? Like we can't do a whole lot to, you know, we can't play anymore, but we can impart some, some wisdom, some appreciation for, you know, our brothers coming up through the ranks and, and hopefully, you know, they, they pay it forward as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I certainly get those emails and aware of all that and the support and, yeah, I mean, you talk about, I think the, the biggest thing that money will do is like, I go home to Iowa now, people know who South Dakota State is. Like, like I said, when I was in high school, no idea that it existed. But, you know, you start, you start building awareness of your program, not only by having success and, oh, yeah, you're in the semifinals again, or you're, um, you know, and I think that's all sports, but so you build that awareness and obviously some of the ESPN stories and things like that have helped, but um you know yeah you build that awareness you have the facilities you get the better recruits everyone knows um you know who that is i don't think you get college game data to south dakota state um without some of the financial steps that were made um starting you know even when we were in school so yeah man and it was such an experience i'll tell you what and for any of the folks that don't recognize the impact they have as a fan to to see it sold out for college game day and how loud it was and the impact it made on the bison offense was just really astounding to me because i remember when we were playing we had 
you know, just the grandstand bleachers there on the visiting side. And there was standing room only. I mean, we would sell that thing sure, out yeah. almost every home game to my recollection. Um, and to see kind of, I mean, I know th the world is far different nowadays uh, with all the, you know, a mess that we have at our fingertips quite literally with Netflix and Pr Amazon Prime and all these different things that, that um, I guess, expand our hobbies and interests we can have. Um, I think it's just, it'd be, it'd be really cool to see folks recognize that for four games out of the year for three hours, which is essentially about, you know, a 12 hour commitment. I wasn't a great mathematician, <laughs> 12 hour commitment for, for one fall. I mean, that's, that's awesome to have memories with your kids, you know, to, to give them, you know, some people to look up to and, to give them a potential vision of what their future could be if they have any interest in athletics. I think that uh, hopefully that starts to spread a little bit more um, and we can get a, a bigger turnout because uh, it, they do make a huge impact. I mean, in that 07 game, I was, I yeah. just threw up your, your return. Um, and I kind of got the chills too, man. Cause just seeing how full that, that small stadium was and packed and, as you as you start to raise that <laughs> ball across the goal line, man. Like, yeah, no, I mean, and yeah, I mean, as a player, really it's like lit. you don't play yeah. for the fans. You you do play because, and I think that's true. Is like you you love the game. You don't play college football if you don't love it because it is such a grind. Um, but like, yeah, it's so much of a better experience yep. when you know, hey, five thousand students are at this game. You know, you're gonna go hang out at, after the game and celebrate and have fun or whatever, and people know who you are. And I mean, that that is that part of that that experience as a college athlete that you're that you're looking for that big time facility or you know big time universities offer. But I mean, at, at SDSU is if you can have that where it's it's the fans that are there that create so much of a, a environment and a frenzy and they do help on offense. They do, you know, on defense and they, the support is just, it's just knowing that people care about what you're doing. You know, you're out there grinding every day for three, four or five hours. Um, you know, and it's like, are, are we valued to the state, you know, of what we do, not only for the university and everything else. And so I think that's something that is often overlooked is like, you know, why do these college coaches get paid so much? And it's like, do you realize like <laughs> Alabama literally does hold the whole state. Everyone holds their breath for three hours when they play, you know, at South state, if we can, we can, you know, I think we've done a yep. pretty darn good job of creating that, but continue to just grow that and sell out that stadium where it's like those players know every time they show out, there's going to be 20,000 plus fans there cheering them on, you know, it, it just taking every snap with them. And, and, you know, yeah, like you say, the family experiencing you get that too, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, a little boy. Arnie just made his first little mini tykes basketball hoop the other day, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's, ex that's exciting nice. to be able to take that family time and, and take them to a place where you've been, or yeah, like you said, there's, there's people to look up to. And, and I think that, you know, one other thing that we, we haven't hit on is South Dakota state and what Stig's done is uh, allowed the players to be involved in the community, you know, um, not only like, you know, I was looking for something yeah. and I did some mentoring in elementary school and I just, I mean, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be part of that. But like you also do that as a team, no matter what, whether it's going around picking up trash, you go to read books at schools, you go, um, you know, help at different sponsors or restaurants or things like that. And then also, you know, in fall camp, I remember going to eat at Burger King, going to eat, you know, everywhere else because the community was supporting you. And so 
you know, you have that support, you know, people care about you and what you're doing. It just makes you want to work that much harder. And then, you know, being able to, to give back to that community and, and say, Hey, we value you and, and we want you here. And that helps both ways, I think. So I think that's, that's something they've done a really good job with too. So. Certainly. That's a great point because I mean, I think even after, like right after you graduated, we ventured out to the Black Hills and did a lot of work in Rapid City and um, stayed with, uh, stayed in the National Guard barracks and were able to um, perform some scrimmages out there for spring ball for a lot of the the faithful that might be West River, as they say. And, um, you know, a lot of different states have unique constraints, but South Dakota specifically does in that their population is so dispersed across, uh, you know, several hundred miles throughout the state. And uh, it's really divided by East and West River. If, if you're not familiar and you stumble upon this podcast and, you know, it's really cool because we, we, we go down to Sioux Falls, the biggest you know city in the state population wise. And we do hospital work there with, you know, the children's hospitals. And I remember just, um, being inspired by Stig's example and, and his principles. And then after I graduated participating in harvest table and it was less about, it was less about me at that point And really just like kind of getting your eyes open, you know, it feels good to serve, but it was just, it was cool that that kind of stuck. Right. And, you know, I try to do a lot of things um, in my own life now too, but it's, it's just, it's cool to see that that being great. Right. Absolutely. No, I think, yeah, all those opportunities and, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you talk about the South Dakota population and I mean, even just for the town of Brookings, like if you can get that influx of people into Brookings and support the businesses that support the schools and everything else for, you know, four or five weekends out of the year, it's it's huge for that town and it's huge for that university. And it's huge for those kids that are there to just give them more opportunities, more experiences at college. You know, I think as alum, alumni, you know, anytime I go to a game, even if it's not South Dakota State, if I go to a CSU game or a UNC game or whatever, it's like, as an alum, the experience you're looking for is to remind you of what your college years were like, you know, and to take you back to when you were young and your body didn't hurt, you know, and, um, you know, to, to just remind you of that experience. And I think, um, yeah, across the state of South Dakota, you get that influx, you get more and more of that experience into Brookings, you know, walking around the tailgating and the, the parking lots and everything else is just that that same that same vibe, that same experience can be for the fans that the players get, you know, when there's more people there and supporting the Jacks. So. Yeah, man, no doubt. And and on that note of support, it's going to be in your, in your current native state. now. You know, absolutely. If I can, we're in Colorado here, Kyle, the COVID stuff is, it's crazy. I will. I, I have been able oh, to, I try and go to a ton of high school games, you know, I try and train kids. And like right now I have to get the kid to go to the, the, you know, whatever um, venue it is and to write my name down to get me two tickets to get into the game. Cause they only get two or four tickets. <laughs> so I, I will certainly hope that by the time fall rolls oh, around wow. that they're allowing fans and I will be, yeah, I mean, if I am, if I can do everything I can to get into that game, I certainly will be there for sure. And, you know, the Bison had some success here. I was actually coaching a couple of CSU players at the time. And I said, you guys need to watch out. <laughs> and no one, no one listened to me then. And I hope, uh, I hope the same thing happens yeah. here in the fall. Um, you know, watch the Jacks come in here and, and take care of business um, the same way they did. So. 
Yes, sir. Hey, uh, on that note, then, you know, we'll do whatever we can. Hopefully COVID has settled down and we've, we've uh, wrangled it in, whether that be by vaccine or by, you know, some herd immunity, um, whichever way the, the cookie may crumble with that one. But uh, if you're giving advice, we have quite the stellar punt returner on the roster now. He's a twin. I'm not yes, sure a little bit, about yeah. him, Jackson Yankee. He's a baller, man. He's like kind of like a creative player if you were on NCAA. And people might think, oh, you're, you know, you're you're gassing him up too much. I'm not kidding, man. He's like 6'3, 210. He's probably one of the faster dudes on the team. He's got good movement competencies. But I would say this um, one of the things that that you're not able to hide right. is ball security and catching the, the punt, right? Um, so if you just had to give him some words of encouragement, I doubt he'll yeah. listen to this, but you know, just, just for my, to put my nerves at ease for Saturday. Um, what, what would you say uh, would be some, you know, I think, I think the, the, the pointer is to see the, see the ball off the foot, slow the ball down and worry about no one else. You absolutely have to trust your teammates and you know, you're going to have to make a few people miss, but um, ultimately, if you just slow that down and you forget about everybody else, including the fans, including um, the players, the coaches, anything on the field, it's just you and the ball. You catch that ball first. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, like I said, I think the, the best punt returners are always going to make the first move upfield, um, you know, so not dancing, not doing anything, and then then feeling that, feeling that game and making the moves and just trusting their athleticism. But, yeah, from a ball security standpoint, it is just – making sure you see the ball off the foot, get to the position you need to be at first. And then, you know, any coach is always going to say this, but catch it with your hands first. <laughs> so those, those soft hands, those pads can bring it in, but you catch it with those hands. I still remember the days with coach Sarvis where basically I'd get balls thrown up in there and then he'd take towels with tape and chuck them at me. So that's probably why I was able, able to catch that ball against North Dakota state when I got hit, because I was getting stuff thrown at me and pushed, you know, and hit and all that stuff while I was still trying to catch a, catch a ball and so um it's just focus on that ball into your hands and then once you have that ball then you look up field and you go so don't worry about anything else but the ball perfect there you go straight from the goat so you know it's doctrine right there paul man i really appreciate it it's great to hear from you sounds like you're doing excellent um we definitely need to to get together when, when Absolutely. things die down yeah let me know if you make it out, out to fort collins for that football game um Oh, that's that's the plan. I'm going to I'm going to be out there regardless, doing something outdoors because um, I, I love Colorado, man. It's one of my favorite places. So we'll have to link up. Um, but, yeah, I appreciate you carving out some time. I love what you're doing uh, with Simple Speed Coach. Uh, one time for anybody who listens, uh, you do you do. Uh, I work with any. I mean, prep, we certainly right? do offer that. And I work. I do have some NFL athletes that are local to the area that I've worked with. But. Uh, a big majority of what we do is work with anywhere from eight-year-olds to collegiate athletes. So I'd say 70% of our – or 65% of our kids are high school, then 20% college, and then under high school, middle school age, um, the rest. But, again, it's just improving athleticism. Our goal is is to make them a better athlete. They can work on their sport-specific skills. Um, yes, you know, like you know from your exos background – not all about strength. It's about, you know, 11 different aspects for me of being an athlete from yes, speed, agility, change of direction. But we want to talk about balance and mobility. We want to talk about strength. We want to talk about awareness and all that stuff. And, um, you know, so it's just really teaching them to improve athleticism, be better movers, be better athletes. And then um, they can take that into their specific skills. So. 
For sure. So if you got guys yeah. who are coming up on the end of their college career, maybe they have some some deficiencies they really want to hammer down on, they can reach out to you and potentially yeah, make a commitment to get out. Yeah, there no, absolutely. We certainly have the facility for it. You know, we have um, 3000 square, plus square feet. We're working with Kaisers. We're working with Woodway. All sorts of, uh, you know, uh, feedback is our ultimate goal and indoor turf and all that stuff. And, and either way, we, you know, what from that outreach standpoint, um, I offer a lot of free just educational videos on YouTube. So we have, I don't know, 8,000 subscribers on YouTube where we're just putting out videos on how to sprint, how to jump, like actually how to do it. You know, you go to YouTube and you say, I want to jump higher. And then it's just like somebody doing something but not telling you how to do it. Um, our, that was my goal is just to reach individuals that maybe couldn't afford, um, you know, the type of training that we do. So at least we have a resource we can send them to. So, you know, our YouTube channel and Instagram on simple speed coach is certainly a place you can find all that too. So. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I personally really enjoy those too. And from, from seeing, from seeing what I would call the cream of the crop within the field at Exos yeah. and some other some other high-end facilities across the nation, I, I would put you right up there. Um, and I'm not blowing smoke or, or uh, well, being biased. I, I would keep it no, right I, with you if I, if I didn't think that that was the case. Because number one, you need to be able to exemplify the movement competency for your athletes. And uh, you stayed pretty sharp and clean and efficient with it. And that's, that's I just heard every night before I go to bed, Kyle. <laughs> um, Oh, same, man. Yeah. I mean, your shoulders and my shoulders are about as bad, I, I can imagine. So, uh, but man, I really appreciate that. I respect it. And, uh, you know, take advantage of those resources. If you're an athlete looking to, uh, looking to, you know, enhance your game and really just. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. We're always, where it all starts always here to help anybody. And our website is just simplespeedcoach.com, which has all our links to all of that stuff. And I certainly appreciate that. That shout out. And yeah, we, we strive to be the best at, at what we do and be as professional as we can at that standpoint. And I don't think I'd have uh, Ashley Foster who was working with Patrick Mahomes and Devin White and everybody else before me at my facility if she didn't believe in what we did. So I think, um, you know, we really do value taking care of the athlete the best way we can. So. Boom. I like that. And I'll just, uh, I'll just run with it because uh, it's in my own mind. It's, it's, maybe delusional or not, but I think you got a lot of motivation from me eating your chips, uh, you know, back in the day. Man, roommate, uh, I was fighting for room in the fridge. I believe I was a small <laughs> a bunch of big dudes. They ate a lot around me trying to eat all our food, but no, no. Yeah. We had a lot of fun in those two apartments, I think. So it was a lot of, a lot of fun having a bunch of athletes in there. And then obviously our roommate, Josh, who's now my brother-in-law, just a bunch of good people, a bunch of good times. So I miss all of those. Yes, sir. Yep. We'll have to get together again soon, man. I appreciate it. And on, uh, on that right. note, go big, go blue. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Hey, this has been another former player feature. Kyle with Paul Anansen. If you want to see what Paul's been up to lately, make sure you go to simplespeedcoach.com. Check him out. Uh, can't wait to go up and cheer on the Jacks again. Preferred Kyle was here this weekend. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of a victory. Go Jacks. But I caught the ball, I looked down the field, and it was green. <laughs>